Here's Foden. Manchester boy. De Bruyne! So slick. So sharp. Foden bounced up off the bench and made it happen. Delicious pass. And De Bruyne did the rest. Atletico Madrid nil. Uh, Manchester City won. We saw the most defensive performance in the Champions League game for a long time uh, with uh, Pep Guardiola, Diego Simeone, two huge characters, um, two two totally different styles of football. Um, The big headline being no shots for Atletico Madrid. Man City take a 1-0 thanks to a Kevin De Bruyne goal in the second half back to Spain where we will see the second leg uh, shortly. Um, the most defensive performance in Champions League history. So talk about that. Yeah, uh, I got a chance to see a little this match um, on the repeat broadcast. Um, yeah, I, for, the, the main takeaway is how it was Man City's stellar attack versus the defensive-mindedness of Diego Simeone's at Lasco Madrid. It's obviously you saw um, eventually Man City sneaking that goal by with Kevin De Bruyne, um, who has been a really great player for Manchester City during his tenure there so far. Um, but then you also looked at it from the Atletico side, who obviously has, I just stated, plays a very strong defensive game um but obviously they had no nothing going for them in the way of uh goal chance creation um there was no shots at all but the main thing is is that they're still i think there could have been a reason behind that um i guess approach for them such as just letting uh man city get ahead first and then take it back home and win it there um, because you could probably end up seeing a different approach in regards to how they attack the game in the next leg. They may play a little – obviously, they'll still continue with their defensive like side of things, but I think they'll be a little bit more aggressive with the ball and try to create chances because we've seen Atletico Madrid have these certain situations before – but then they end up coming back, sometimes winning 2-1, or if it ends up in a draw situation, they are able to capitalize in extra time. So I'm kind of seeing it where it's going to go into some of that scenario. So what are your thoughts on the the mentality of Simeone? Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, because it it did not seem at any point in this game uh, that Atletico Madrid felt that the, the, the intention of scoring. It seemed like they just conceded the fact that all right this is what we're gonna do we're gonna stack the box with our with our defenders we're instead of deploying because in a in a 5-3-2 which was what they played uh you're not gonna see um you know three uh, usually the three attacking uh, midfielders so they can link up with the the front two which was uh Felix and uh, Griezmann um but Diego Simeone deployed three defensive midfielders in that setup instead of three attack to three central midfielders. Um, 
So what were your thoughts on, on, on that? And why do you think Simeone um, did this? Because obviously there's, there's gotta be some psychological reason why he's deciding to do this. What do you think the motivation is at least from, from the defensive perspective? Um, well, my thoughts on this sort of approach is it kind of makes sense to me more so if he was in a situation where they already had, say, a one or two goal lead against Man City, um, because that way you are solidified with the goals. And then you would just basically in this scenario, it sounds like you're parking the bus. I think I'm finally using the terminology correctly, but correct me if I'm wrong. That that was like that wasn't just parking the bus. That was that was like pan- parking, parking the, yeah, or limousine or something. But yeah, I mean, I would have done this in more first get your goals, then park the tank or whatever the hell vehicle or plane or train where you want to use, because that way you're already solidified and moving on to the next round. That doesn't mean that Man City wouldn't have gotten the goal back because they are a strong, attacking-minded team and they know how to find those key openings just like Kevin De Bruyne did. But, I mean, another side of the things, like psychologically, I think this could be was a part of his plan to just kind of get the rhythm of what Manchester City would do And then when they do decide to start approaching it from the attacking side of things, they'll know where their defensive side is and know where to exploit that weakness. But, I mean, in general, I would have just done things the opposite way and just work on getting your goals first and then parking the bus because that way you're at least guaranteed to move on. Or if Man City did get a goal back, you at least had that second goal already, so you would have been able to move on in a quicker amount of time. Okay, one more thought, one more, one more quick question, and then I will um, break it down from my end. Um, do you think after that, so Atletico Madrid go to the the Wanda Metropolitana, and as we know, they're a different monster there. It's, it, they're they're very difficult to beat there, um, even if you're you got a fully loaded squad. Do you think? Obviously, I would think Atletico Madrid fans would have wanted either a, a goalless game or a game or, you know, to have them to sort of make their mark in the first leg, that didn't exactly happen. But do you think Atletico Madrid should be, obviously they're losing. So against Man City, it's tough. But do you think that they are overall satisfied with the condition in which they are heading into uh, the second leg? I think they should be happy with it. Um, obviously they would have probably wanted at least to get a little something out of this game. So that way it's not too bad of like a deficit, but still a one goal deficit isn't that bad. You could easily make that up. Um, so, I mean, from a fan, if I was a, has a neutral, if I was a, or if I was a fan of Atleco, I would be kind of still happy with the scenario because it would be different if you didn't play like defensive minded game. And then you had Man City running rampant and just getting goal after goal and then end up having them being three up 3-0 three, and then it would be a tougher mountain to climb. So I mean, at least with this 1-0 loss, 
they know how to approach the game for more of the attacking side, but it at least is a manageable comeback versus that if they decided to do a different like approach to the game from the start. Yeah, I agree. Um, just just so everybody knows, the three that they went in midfield, I have it here, is is Koke, uh, Marcus Lorente, and uh, Condobia. All three midfield. So even you know, even the after they had conceded, they they made they made a few moves. They put in your boy Rodrigo de Paul, who, but again, he's def- he's attacking and defensive. But he's more defensive than attacking, even though he's very gifted with the ball and he can do a lot of great things. Um, they brought in, uh, I, they brought in Thomas Lamar, who's a winger, um, and they brought in Carrera for a Griezmann um, throughout this game. So there were some changes that that would suggest they were going for an attacking style of play after they conceded. But even after they had got, gone down, they kept their, their their strategy impact, and they it was. So I'll speak on this a little. It was a brilliant defensive display because if you watch it, and I know you watched the game, but in that game, how many, I'm just going to ask this and you just give me a quick answer. Then I'll go back into my thing. How many shots that Man City took in that game actually reached a place where Oblak either was in a position to, to make a save or like in his, in his, um, in his area. Very, very, very rarely, it may have been, happened maybe like no more than three times. I would say. Exactly. Yeah. So because so a lot of a lot of the strikes that were in in the box outside the box in the area were were being um, deflected by blocks from the Atletico Madrid defense. So this made it almost impossible. As good as Manchester City is, and as brilliant as 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 Pep is, they had a really difficult time getting it into the area. Now they could get into the box. But once they got into the box, they were surrounded by three, four more defenders in, in, in that regard, and it made it really difficult. And then the few chances they did have, they had O'Block was, was forced to make, I think, one save. But outside of that, they just shut the back down. So I think on one hand, you have to – I mean, a lot of people are crit- criticizing Simeone and, and saying this, that, or other about his style of play, which we've all said at one point or another. But I think we also have to commend how well – defensively they put themselves in this game they go into the second leg with only one goal down which they can get back easily you know as you saw in the um the atlanta game from um the atlanta leipzig game from from the other day the fact that uh the goal that they that was scored in that game was this was an absolute uh, you know incredible strike so sometimes you're, you're 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 capable of having moments like that in games so all you need is that one moment for the whole thing to, you know, spin on its head. Um, it was incredibly defensive. Obviously, I think uh, Simeone did a great job of it um, with, with Albiza Pep doing everything he can to get into those areas and being effective, and he wasn't able to do so. Um, they then go get the goal. But even after the goal, they, they kind of hold it down. Like, if we can go – if we even if we're losing, if we can go into the second leg with a small deficit, we, we're going to feel somewhat confident about that. Um, because of the way they play there. Um, obviously, me and Sadie are, are, have to be happy too, but it's an odd one where they won the game and there's more, I, I, there's not more questions to be asked, but there's more hesitation for leg number two from City than it is from Atletico, where Atletico kind of, I mean, putting it simply, they, um, they, you know, they made their bed and they decided to lie in it. Even after it went down, they're like, nope, we're going to do the same thing. We're, we're going to keep it here. We're going to put some attacking players on. 
but we're gonna um, we're gonna bring in DePaul, who um, who obviously is again. You can say what you want, but is more defensive than attacking. Um, and we're just gonna hold them off. And if we can hold them off, um, again, it was brilliant. How many chances they really have on goal? Not not very many. Um, and the one they did, it was again, it was an individual thing that led to that moment. And if that doesn't happen, if if and it's an incredibly talented player does doesn't do what he does, Atletico Madrid go home with with zero zero. So I think um, it was it was absurd how defensive he was. But you know, you have to look at what he's done with Atletico Madrid implementing that style he won the Liga last season he's been to two champions league finals uh, he's got one other la liga title um he's done it with all different sorts of styles all different sorts of players and it's extremely successful so from diego simeone's point why wouldn't he do that the eddie had isn't going to be as loud or as many uh, spectators that, that will be at the, the wanda no no offense man city fans so you look at that and the way they performed in that moment, and the way they defended so well. Again, it is, it is a risk if you're running when you're doing that, because now you have to get a goal even to get back in it. Um, but I think it was superb defending against an attack that, that did everything it could to find it, and it could only find one moment. So I think um, Atletico Madrid aren't happy, but they're not disappointed with it, because they understand the conditions that they're going into into the next leg. All right, so we're going to move on to our next point here. Uh, our next takeaway is obviously the goal itself. Brilliant. Um, from that, uh, man said you couldn't get a lot going. Um, and then uh, Pep Guardiola made a substitution, bringing on Phil Foden um, for Raheem Sterling. A minute later, he scores uh, th- through the, the three defensive, the three defenders that were around him, getting him the ball to, go to Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, t- text it. I mean, kicks it into the back of net and boom, they got, they got their goal. Um, so what are your thoughts on the, um, the, um, the change that he made um, uh, to, to, to allow that whole moment to happen? And what does that say about Pep Guardiola? Um, first and foremost, that for the substitution was definitely a great choice. Um, Raheem Sterling was looking a little bit tired and just bringing on those fresh pair of legs kind of set the tone for the rest of the match. And obviously, oh. You had that um, point where he was able to take the ball away from Atletico Madrid and just starting setting up that beautiful chance for Kevin De Bruyne where I was going through, I do believe it was like maybe two, one or two other Man City players to get that set up. So, uh, hold, so real quick, real quick. So he te- um just because I've watched all four of these games more than once this week. Basically, so basically, he um, Bernardo Silva threads him the ball. Um, Phil Foden is approaching the danger area, so not in the box, but outside the box. I counted three or four uh, defenders that were around him, and one other, and he finds a way to get through uh, this the, the brick wall, and then he threads it into K- KDB, and then he hits uh, he hits the left post and goes in. But it was it was the only clean strike on goal the whole game. But again, a lot, what I'm really focusing here on is is the the movement of Foden to, to allow all that to happen. Yeah, but it was very smooth and very, like, calculated on how they approached that goal. Um, then what does this say about Pep Guardiola? It, I mean, Pep Guardiola, if anybody has read his autobiography, whether you've read it on in a, the normal, like, flip page books or on your Kindle, 
or if you listen to it via the audio book. Um, he is known as the chameleon for a reason because of how he's able to adapt to certain situations, whether it's changing the formation in the middle of like the first or second half, um, moving players to a different spot, or just making like simple as substitutions that could change the dynamic of the game. And it this continues to prove why he's known as the chameleon. He knew what kind of situation was in and knew the perfect player that would kind of be able to squeeze and know where he was when it came to the attack and knowing where the, the Atletico Madrid defenders were. And so he just that alone just proves how versatile of a manager Pep Guardiola is. Like, you could, I mean, you've seen his work with Barcelona. He took a team that wasn't doing well and helped them turn themselves into a massive dynasty and then you also seen the same thing with Manchester City. Manchester City, you you've no one barely heard of the name Manchester City unless you were a huge like Man City fan. They, they, they were winning, but they weren't winning like they are now. So I think exactly he, he took them to another level because I think they had still won two Premier League titles before that. But he, it went from okay, let's let's see who's going to win the league, right? And then it went from okay, who's getting second place. <laughs> Because that's what it feels like, and that's no disrespect to Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, but no, I, I totally get what you're saying because he's just taking them to a whole nother level. He did uh, then he what he did with Bayern was was magical as well. Um, he was never able to uh, recreate the Champions League success, and uh, in this, in a certain sense, he is a chameleon for for his his um, obviously strategies and and the decisions he makes in crucial moments, which is huge. Um, obviously, um, that that's a that's a uh, that's a great sort of uh, sort of how how he's he's gone about it. done it. There are other managers who have who have gone to smaller teams and were able to win. Um, who you could also put in that class, but he's he's a chameleon in a different way as far as being able to use his uh, the 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 style of play and uh, what he did at Barcelona and be able to take that style of football to German football and English football is tremendous. Um, to me, this this tells me two things. Number one, Pep knew the right he knew the right change to make. He 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 saw his team try to get through this brick wall, and he couldn't do it with with his team that he has. And he's got a great team. Um, couldn't really find a way to hack it. Um, you know, with with the team he has, he's got a lot of depth on the bench. He's trying to figure out a way to to break this in. And what you what he really needed was someone to pull the defense away from an, an, you know, an attacker going forward. And the only real way for him to actually do that was with Phil Foden, who is just a tremendous, a tremendous talent in English football, just a huge one. And again, he's right there with Wirtz and Pedri. Again, we all know the order of my young players list. Those are the first two, but Phil Foden is not far behind because of the things he can do. And super athletic, he's really can be magical with the ball. So when Pep makes that switch, he knows that he's going to attract um, uh, defenders to, to, to kind of go away from their post and try to handle him with the ball. And I, I think uh, Phil's able to do it. He's able to get that ball to, to KDB. And, and Oblak is, uh, you know, regardless of who you want, over the last decade has been one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Um, he's there. He, he knows how to make the big, the big plays, obviously. And, um, 
And that put him in an uncomfortable position because uh, not leaving him one-on-one, but you, uh, KDB had a clean look that he probably wasn't going to have if it wasn't for um, Full Foden. And obviously KDB collects the Man of the Match award. I actually would have given it Full Foden because without Foden, that doesn't happen. And, I mean, KDB is one of the best midfielders in the world. But for that spe- specific circumstance, for him to know to make that decision, I think was was just massive. Um, all right. So the last, this, this is kind of just, just, uh, it is what it is. But so the question is now that we, I have for this, a second leg is can city do it in Madrid? And this is a complicated one because Diego Simeone is not going to park the bus in Madrid. You know, you, you heard the three defensive midfielders that I named in his midfield at the Wanda. I do not think he's going to deploy three defensive midfielders. I expect him to play three attacking midfielders. Um, so as far as uh, what he could do um, in that spot, uh, considering his, his, his bench, we're talking about probably Rodrigo DePaul, uh, Matthias Kuna, and, and maybe one other. But I think the majority of his midfield will be more attacking. So we can, we can expect a different type of game. But the question is, what uh, – what do you think is going to – like, not predict, but what do you think could go on to happen um, in the return leg? Because the entire platform of this thing changes uh, in Madrid because they're just different there. The real – like, the question is, for me, uh, do, or as you just asked, do I think Man City can do it in Madrid? I don't know. I mean – there obviously you have, like you stated, you're gonna you brought up a key point that Atletico will change their tactics when they're at home. Um, they're gonna be playing more of a obviously they're still gonna have their defense, but they're also gonna be playing more of an attacking style of football, which is more than what we were seeing in this first leg. So, I mean, for me personally, if I see them getting back into this goal wise. I think it will end up being a scenario where they are able to equalize in like regular time, but to force the, since obviously we no longer have the away goal rule, um, I would see this as a, um, where this goes into extra time. And if they are able to keep defending, this could be one of those matches that ends in one of my favorite scenarios the penalty shootout um but do I think Man City get the job done I don't think so I mean it's you were right it is a hard question because obviously the tactics and the dynamic of that Michael Madrid will change so I mean does it does it change it for you let's if Atletico Madrid let me just phrase it if Atletico Madrid score in the in the in the opening half hour do you think that changes what will go on the rest of the match? Because to you, does it, ma- does, it, does it reflect to you the circumstance of when they get – okay, let's, let's just suppose they get back in this game um, when they get their goal. Does, does it make a difference to you, or do, does it have a tell the different story, whether it's, it's before the half-hour mark or in the second half late, for example? For me, personally, I don't think it would because they already got the goal back, whether it's in the first 30 minutes or, like, late in the second half. 
But I still think either way, it's going to end up in one of those extra time scenarios if they do get back into it. Okay, let me let me ask you one follow up, and then I'll then I'll go into my thing. If Man City scores first, do you think it's game over? If Man City score first, I do think it would be a game over situation because you would have to really play more aggressively attack wise and really force um, the upper hand against Man City's defense. So I think in that scenario. I would say Atletico would not have a chance to move on because it would be it's crucial that they get the goal early and then just sit on it and then force the extra time situation and then from there let the chips fall where they may as they say. Yeah, um, I think for me, I I don't think it's going to be as easy as people think, and you know. It's an advantage, but only to a certain extent because we know, you know, how dangerous they are there. Um, it's difficult because on one side, if Man City play their game, they should get there in the end. Uh, but they only are sitting on a one-goal lead. It's, I think for me, set pieces, corner kicks, and free kicks are, the, are Atletico's way in. Um, if they're able to handle themselves on set pieces, I think it, it, it blows the whole thing open. Because if you're just asking Atletico Madrid to cruise through the midfield and score a, 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 a more um, a less uh, set up type of goal, I think that's that's going to be more difficult to ask for. Yes, they're capable of it. They'll play a different style. They'll use attacking midfielders. They'll still feed Luis Suarez, Griezmann, Carrera, or Felix up top. Um, but. Um, yeah, so I think I think it's going to come down to set pieces. It's a difficult one because I don't know. So it's I think there's certainly a possibility that Atletico Madrid will um, win the game, will score two and do their thing. But it's also a possibility that Man City scores first and Atletico Madrid have to have to play from behind and score two, which. It's just gonna. It's not. It's it's not gonna be comfortable because of the style of football that they play. They can get two goals, but they're not really the type of team, at least you know, in recent memory, that can do that. And again, Liverpool, the Liverpool game, they took the they took the uh, the first uh, leg at, at in in Madrid, and then they they conceded twice at Liverpool. They won that game four two. So they have it in them to do it, obviously. Um, but it's, it's, it's a difficult one, and I think – I'll say this. I'll say this. It, it's going to be much more difficult to do it um, in, in Madrid for Man City than it was going to be in their own backyard. The fans are, are, are going to be uh, an, an, a thing here, and so will you know, the atmosphere and everything like that. Um, but if Federico Madrid score in the first half hour, they will go on to win this game in regular time and and win it in, in regular time. Again, if they don't score in the first half hour, the Man City is going through. That that's my vibe. I'm gonna put my foot down on that, and and whatever happens, happens. All right. Um. So that goes. Um. You know. Uh. So Atletico Madrid, Man City. Uh. We'll see what happens on leg number two. Um. Obviously, the man of the moment, the man of the hour, the man of the week, my man Kareem the Scheme and Benzema, uh, scores three. Um, against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Um, Kai Havertz did get a goal back for 
the Blues before um, before the second half, and but they, you know, Chelsea does surrender a three-one um, uh, uh, victory at home. They go to the Santiago Bernabeu in leg number two with a two-goal lead with a position of this is Real Madrid. They're probably not sacrificing it. So we'll just start where all the money is in the middle of the table for my man, Kareem Benzema. Uh, second, back-to-back hat tricks in back-to-back Champions League games. He is, he is fourth. Well, he's, he's still fourth on the all-time um, Champions League scores list, but he is, um, he's closing the gap between himself and Robert Lewandowski with two goals in between, but six goals in the last, last two games. Uh, just go. <laughs> I'm just going to say it, Kareem Benzema. Holy crap. I mean, I was lucky to see come in to watch this match after a hectic work day. So, turning on the TV and just seeing uh, seeing Real Madrid at the time, I do believe it was 1-0. And then eventually I saw Kareem Benzema score the second goal, which put them up 2-0. And then obviously, as you said, Ty Havertz was able to get a goal back. And then eventually Kareem Benzema was like, eh, look what I could do. Here's another goal. And then just that amazing hat trick. He is a machine. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. If people don't, I mean, he's already, if people say he's not the GOAT, I mean, you've been living under a rock. He's one of the greatest players of all time. Um, I'm giving him that status. I don't know if you agree with that, but I mean, it's one of those things where if you're not paying attention to him, you better wait the heck up because he is just a baller. He's able to read the game with precision. He knows where to be when the ball is serviced to him to find the back of the net. And when he isn't scoring, he's able to know where to be to set up one of his fellow teammates. All right, um, so that goes, um, you know, uh, so Atletico Madrid, Man City, uh, we'll see what happens in leg number two. Um, obviously, the man of the moment, the man of the hour, the man of the week, my man, Kareem, the scheme, Benzema, uh, scores three um, against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Um, Kai Havertz did get a goal back for uh, the Blues before um, – before the second half and, but they, you know, Chelsea does surrender a three, one, um, uh, uh, victory at home. They go to the Santiago Bernabeu in leg number two with a two goal lead with a position of this is Real Madrid. They're probably not sacrificing it. So we'll just start where all the money is in the middle of the table for my man, Kareem Benzema, uh, Second back-to-back hat tricks in back-to-back Champions League games. He is he is fourth. Well, he's he's still fourth on the all-time um, Champions League scores list. But he is um, he's closing the gap between himself and Robert Lewandowski with two goals in between. But six goals in the last last two games. Uh, just go. <laughs> oh, I'm just gonna say it, Kareem Benzema. Holy crap! I mean, I was lucky to. Come in to watch this match after a hectic work day. So, turning on the TV and just seeing uh, seeing Real Madrid at the time, I do believe it was one nil. And then eventually, I saw Kareem Benzema score the second goal, which put 
them up 2-0. And then obviously, as you said, Ty Havertz was able to get a goal back. And then eventually Kareem Benzema was like, eh, look what I could do. Here's another goal. And then gets that amazing hat check. He is a machine. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. If people do I mean, he's or if people say he's not the GOAT, I mean, you've been living under a rock. He's one of the greatest players of all time. Um, I'm giving him that status. I don't know if you agree with that. But, I mean, it's one of those things where if you're not paying attention to him, you better wait the heck up because he is just a baller. He's able to read the game with precision. He knows where to be when the ball is serviced to him to find the back of the net. And when he isn't scoring, he's able to know where to be to set up one of his fellow teammates. So, I mean, versatility-wise, oh, my Lord, he is amazing. So, yeah, I mean, it goes without saying that he is going to go down as a Real Madrid legend. Um, Obviously, he helped give them the two-goal lead going into this uh, reverse fixture. And, I mean, at, at this point, in my opinion, Chelsea, good night. Revenge is a, a dish best served cold. And remember, last season, Champions League semifinal, it was Chelsea to knock out Real Madrid, went on to, to win the Champions League final against Manchester City. Um, not that this – I mean, Real Madrid have more European trophies in their cabinet than Chelsea have trophies, probably. <laughs> so, you know, uh-huh. it's, 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 it's not like – it's, it's close, whatever. But, you know, you're going to look at this in any way you want, and you can say, okay, it's probably for other teams, it's more in the mentality, okay, we got to get them back. We're, Real Madrid may not necessarily feel that way because of how many trophies that, they're, that they're, they've won on a constant basis. But for, for them to go there, Benzema to be the man um, to do it, um, I mean, just it happened so quickly, the first goal, boom. Uh, across from Vinicius Jr., takes it in the back of that one. And then, obviously, the, the cross from Luka Modric, he gets another header, and he's it's just flying. And Chelsea were really pushing prior to that breakthrough, and then all of a sudden the whole thing explodes. And then, obviously, um, as I said, Havers gets a little goal back. And then in the second half, uh, Chelsea make a huge mistake, and, you know, he's there to uh, to stick his foot out in the right moment and – they, they, they grab this big lead, Chelsea push. But I think, if anything, it, it shows how significant Kareem Benzema is in this, uh, in, in world football. He's got 37 this season. Uh, the only one who has more goals than him this campaign is the one, uh, Robert Lewandowski, um, who had a significantly less impressive Champions League game. I think people have started uh, this year bringing up Salah and Lewandowski together as a a topic of who's the best player in the world. Um, The truth is Benzema and Lewandowski is a legitimate conversation now. Again, I would still, I would still take Lewandowski. I think he's more complete. Um, I think he's scoring at a higher rate, but Lewandowski, I'm sorry, Benzema's right there. You know, you look at what he's done with Cristiano. You look at what he's done the era after Cristiano, three goals, in another Champions League game, and this isn't against the Stuttgart and, uh, I don't know, um, Ghent. These hat tricks came up, came against PSG and Chelsea, two, two relatively big clubs. Um, if you look at 
all of it. And then you, you, he comes here. He does it again. Um, one of the best players in the world. I, I think I'm just at the point now. It's, it's Lemondowski, it's Benzema, the rest of it. Everybody else, all, as great as everyone else is, is below that level. They're separating themselves. And now this is the, the fun part for me is the ball and door for next season is going to be between them two. Those are the two. Again, the, the, the rules have changed of the bottom door, so we'll get a fair ruling on it. Those are the two players, significantly speaking, that are going to be going for that. And I think it's, it's amazing. You know, the last person to get Champions League hat tricks back-to-back is Cristiano Ronaldo. So he's an elite company, 73rd, 4th, and 5th Champions League goals, um, if, if I have that right. I forgot. Lemondowski's on 75 or 77, and Benzema's either on 75 or 73. Regardless, you know, this is one of the greatest goal scorers in Champions League history. He is he is the man of the big moments. This was just a showcase that Benzema is just on another level to everyone except the guy who wears number nine for Bayern. It's really these two now, and Benzema with another performance, and it's it's over. They're going to Spain with this, you know? He could score another hat trick. You know, it's just you just never know what you can get from this from this guy. And and he is he's special. And you know, thinking World Cup time, uh, you know, you think of all the players that France France has. People a lot of times just think about Mbappe and others first. This team's got this team's got Benzema too, and it's gonna be it's gonna be special what they do there. But Champions League highest moment, and, and it's, it's Benzema yet again. Uh, but not to the surprise of any. He's 33, 34 years old, and he's doing what he's doing, 37 goals a season. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's nothing else to be said about him. He's just he's just that kind of special. Um, all right. So we, we obviously know the Benzema did his thing. Tujo at halftime brought off Nogola Conte, and um, uh, that's the main one. The, just his, his, um, his subs at halftime. I forgot the other one he, he took off, but but he made two subs at halftime. Um, obviously, Real Madrid go on to win the game. They score another in the second half. Um, the third goal was a huge mistake by the Chelsea goalkeeper. Um, how impactful do you think that, that – I mean, obviously, Benzema was Benzema, but how impactful was the – what are your thoughts on the changes that, that, um, that he made at halftime to try to re-energize the team back into it? I mean – to be honest with you, like he tried the made the substitutions, like he took off Conte, and I can't b- remember who he brought on, but I can't remember the substitutions off the top of my head either. But obviously, from a tactic standpoint, you would want to try to get those fresh legs when possible, especially in the second half, because at least try to figure out something that could get the team back into it. But in my opinion, they were good subs. But the problem was Kareem Benzema. And, I mean, he was literally running roughshod all over Chelsea from the starting whistle in the first half to the ending whistle in the second half. So it was kind of hard to really get anything back from this. Obviously, you had the Kai Havertz goal. But other than that, they were just already in a terrible situation to begin with. So, I mean but he did try what was needed to maybe get something out of this. And obviously they have a goal and um, there's a two goal difference. Is it attainable for Chelsea team? Definitely. But 
Real Madrid is not going to go down without a fight or they're not going to go lie down and say, hey, come here, let your turn to have your way with us. No, they're going to just seal the deal and just say, good night, Irene, as they say, because, I mean, it just was a situation where you try, he tried as much, um, as many substitutions and formation changes as possible, but it was just, I mean, in my opinion, it was just way too late. All right. Okay. I get what you're saying. Third goal, though. Who's mistake-wise, what portion of the field was responsible for that? I would say the defense. Um, and, and the defensive midfield, right? Correct. Does Conte ever run out of energy? I mean, does he ever show fatigue? I mean, very, very rarely do you see it. So I think it was just a major mistake at that point. Okay. I'm just, I, I, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to, again, I agree with what you're saying, but I also want us to focus on it's, it's two things can be true. Benzema can have been incredible and Tucho made a mistake. And I'm only talking about a contact. I know he, he brought in Lukaku late for pool sick and he had two chances at the near post and couldn't do it. But Courtois was playing so well. I don't really blame that on Lukaku. But I, I, I do think there was some mistake being made. It's a goalkeeper. Mendy's got to, he's, he's got to swallow a, a load of blame for this. The defense that was in front of him were at fault. But when I watched that third goal, what I thought to myself is, if Con- and again, Kovacic is a good player, um, but Con- it feels like Conte would have been in that situation to have, again, maybe not avoided it, but maybe, maybe has, Benzema has to do a little bit more work. Because yeah, with all due respect to, to everything, you know, that was not a, the most challenging strike from Benzema to score and, and so on. Um, but, I, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Benzema was Benzema. But, but I do think Tuchel did make one, a mistake with the halftime substitutions. The thing is, and you may not know this, when you're making a change at the break, it is not because um, – you know, it's a tactical switch. It's not about um, – it, it sometimes can be, but it's not about fatigue. When you're making a, team, a, a switch at halftime, you're basically telling the players that are being subbed off, you're, you're not used – you're, you're no use to me right now. I need someone else. There, you, you'll never see, like, somebody who's having a great game get subbed off at halftime unless you go a man down. So I think – this was my, my point of view, and I, I respect what you're saying. Um, Tuchel did make a mistake in that because – Conte could have helped in that situation. But, again, I'm not blaming Conte. I'm not blaming Tuchel. Um, Mendy was mostly a fault for that third goal because if Chelsea go into the second leg down 2-1, it's still not a high possibility, but there was, there was still a chance of hope um, and so on. So um, that's what I would say on that. Um, just real quick, do you think there's any hope for Chelsea? In a, uh, what, do, what, do they need, what needs to be done if that's going to happen? Realistically, no. But I love doing the um, thing called hypothetical situation. So hypothetically, if they were to try to get back into this situation, um, obviously don't make uh, crazy substitutions when one of your best players does not get fatigued. Um, but then also you would want to play still kind of like play a little bit more aggressively and create as many chances as possible, but also still while trying to maintain control of the ball. So that way you're not getting careless in where you're 
firing those particular chances. Um, Defensive-wise, you would really need to – obviously, Real Madrid have Kareem Benzema, Luka Modric, um, oh. And about 10 other Champions League winners. Vinicius yeah, Jr. pretty much 10 other Champions League players. Vinicius is an important one, too. But the main concern is locking it down and isolating Kareem Benzema from really getting anything going because he's the one who pretty much dictated the whole this whole entire match. And so if you're going to do this, obviously play aggressively in the attack, but also the defensive-wise, keep an eye out and shut down the advances of Benzema because if they don't, it's going to be, as I said, good night, Irene. Yeah, they have uh, Antonio Gurudiger and uh, Thiago uh, Silva. Both did, I mean, the o- they only made a mistake on the third goal. Their first two goals were just Benzema doing Benzema and good service from Vinicius Jr. and Modric. Um, obviously, they have Timo Werner and Lukaku strikers. They've also played with Havertz and Pulisic. Would you, would you play both of their strikers in the second leg in Spain? Like, how would you do it from, like, that point? Yeah, I would see you say you would have to play like your main attackers in this scenario because the more chances of the more firepower you have, the better chances are of executing a goal. But I mean, like I said, it's going to be very difficult, but that is probably the only way you could really approach this situation is just play your main, your best starters from the get go and just run with it and hope to God that you're able on the back of the net. Yeah, you need you need defending, but then you need you need extreme attacking. You need you. I mean, I, I, call me crazy, but you need Werner. You need Werner, Lukaku, Pulisic, and um, Havertz all playing. Um, again, I don't know how you do with the formation. You take out defensive midfield and you just put attackers in. I mean, I just don't think there's another way. You have Mount there. You can play with Mount still in there because he's very attacking-minded. You can play with Kovacic, who is attacking-minded, but also does have some defending. Um, but you have to just go all out. And I think if, they're, if they don't do that, they're going to lose. If they do do that, they might lose anyway. <laughs> so it's, it's really hard to go either way on that one, but, but uh, that is what it is. Um, Interesting. Great little ball back. It's in. The flag might go up. Danjuma celebrates. And the flag has stayed down. And Villarreal have the lead inside eight minutes. Arno Danjuma. All right. Um, so there was uh, the yellow submarine stunned uh, Bayern Munich, um, scoring early in that game. And then uh, they score second. That's taken away. But, but Villarreal leave um, their, 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 their palace with a 1-0 victory, um, taking it to the second leg. Um, so let's let's just cover the, the most important thing. Salzburg got a goal in in Salzburg. Uh, Villarreal got a goal in Spain. Bayern Munich won seven one in the reverse fixture, but Villarreal is a better team than than Salzburg. With all due respect, um, why do you think they're struggling? Like we know that they're the best team in this competition. Why are they struggling so much away from Munich? I don't understand it, but just give it a go. What, what, what are your, what's your thought about this? And maybe is it about the, maybe the style of teams that they're playing or 
Yeah. Anyway, why why are they struggling without you know away from Munich? Well, I'm gonna usually I'm gonna use a joke that my wonderful brother Steven taught me. It what do you, it what do you get when you mix an elephant and a rhinoceros? What? A halophino. Because it's literally one of those halophino situations. I mean, you would normally suspect that Bayern would be a team that would do well both at home but also in the away fixtures. I mean, even in the Bundesliga this season, they've there have been scenarios where they've lost so it, it at away from the Allianz Stadium. So arena or arena. Yeah. Sorry, it's, so many, the, the only reason I have to clarify is because Allianz Stadium is Juventus. There's so many Allianz fields. There's Allianz Stadium. There's yeah, there's, there's we so have Minnesota has Allianz Field and there's Allianz Stadium and there's Allianz Arena. But no, anyway, continue. But, but yeah, anyway, we all know what I mean. I'm just, you know, there's so many of them, like I said. But I mean, you would expect them to perform away as they do at home. But I don't know, maybe there's something going on. There's a mental reason why they're not doing well. Or it could be just maybe like you just brought up a really, really good. Point that it could be the style of team that they're facing. Maybe they're just not prepared for the type of play that they're doing. So, I mean, there could, there's, there could be a variety of different scenarios, but to be honest, I really don't know. I, I, have, I, I have a theory. Would you like to hear it? Well, go ahead. So, what teams did has Bayern lost to in the Bundesliga? What, like, what? Where are they in the table, generally speaking? The teams that that are beating them away from home, or not not in Munich, but in their own house. Usually, what teams? usually mid to lower table teams. Exactly. In the what do you want in the Champions League uh, table right now? Of the teams that are in the, in this Champions League table, where would you say that Villarreal? And uh, is in terms of talent in comparison to the rest of the teams. What was the question again? If you were to, if you were to rank the, the the qualities of the Champions League teams, where where is Villarreal on that list? Usually, sometimes they're like the top four. Usually, the middle no, no, of no, the no. table. No, no, no. In in the of okay of the current teams in the Champions League, if you were to rank them in terms of talent and ability, where if so, you're, I'm only talking about teams that are still in the Champions League. Of the teams left in the Champions League, where would you put Villarreal in terms of talent in comparison to the rest of the of the rest of the teams left? They're not terrible, but they're not like the like greatest. So I would say in the middle. Okay, so near the bottom, right? Because remember, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Bayern, um, Atletico Madrid, and then you have Benfica and Villarreal. I'll be honest, Benfica is better than Villarreal, in my opinion. Um, So they're at the bottom. So what Villarreal has, what it looks like they have, is they have what that, the old tale about mid-table teams in their own house. Again, they're better than a lot of the teams that have beaten Bayern this season. They're top quality. They won the Europa League last year. They're, they're, in La Liga, they're not doing so well. But they have that mentality, okay, we're going to – we're at home. We got we to gotta hit them immediately. 
we're going to go out of the great gate and we're just going to throw the kitchen sink. And that's exactly what they did in this game. They threw everything they had and then some. They got, they got that chance, boom, goal. And now Bayern Munich are in panic mode and they need to get a goal back. And we're, we keep waiting for them to get the equalizer because that's what happened in the, in the Salzburg game. But it never comes. Lewandowski doesn't have his best game. Sané and Gnabry do just try to do what they can, but it doesn't happen. Coman has opportunities, but can't, they can't close it. And then obviously Musiala was their best player in the game. He does, he does, he tries a lot of things to get done and, and is unable to do so. Again, Villarreal played very, very well. They deserve a ton of credit. Um, but this is a game where you expect Bayern, okay, Bayern's going to go on and they're going to get an equalized in the end. And then they'll go to Munich and they'll win 4 1. And again, they could go to Munich and then win it again. But I think partly the reason why they're struggling is because of the style of teams. Villarreal have more in common with, um, with Osberg, Frankfurt, those types of teams than they do with Dortmund, with Man City, with Liverpool, with Barcelona, right? So it's, there, it's, it's the mentality is similar because it's a similar type of team in terms of style. Again, they're better than most of the teams that they, they, they've lost to this season. But I think that's the approach they took. Outside of that, I don't know why they're struggling there. Um, maybe the atmosphere – I just don't know. And, and we're going to see what happens after this. But I, I think it's down to um, the, that, that sort of aspect of it. What, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you could look at it from that perspective where – Obviously, we've seen scenarios where um, Bayern has not been performing the stuff, but then they go into the reverse picture and then they just say, ha, 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 screw you. Um, maybe there's, they are doing that kind of scenario for a reason, maybe conserving their energy instead of wait, going full on in the first leg. But, I mean, if you're Bayern, I would rather just get – the job done and be over with it and then just take the gas off in the second half so at least you're guaranteed to move on but you never know there I still think personally that Bayern will get back into it there I mean this team is able to come back from these situations so we'll see what happens yeah um um, I'm just going to uh, speak on uh, uh, what I would like to take Unai Embry's special sauce in Villarreal, and then we'll move on to our last point here. Um, I think what he's done with this team is really a tremendous. Um, won the Europa League last year against Manchester United. Um, did very – the Juventus thing was amazing and hilarious for them to score as many goals as they did against, uh, you know, Juve. Um, and then he's kept this team together. They got a lot of good players, and I think they just play well as a team. And I, I don't think I can say enough about him. And I know the Arsenal thing didn't may have not worked out, but ever since then he's been on a mission to sort of do prove himself. And again, I'm, the La Liga form needs to be better. Their team is well good enough to do so. Um, but I think just to see what he was able to do in front of the Yellow Submarine and for him to continue to have success with the team, I think is tremendous. Yeah, I mean, he has been a – uh, Unai Emery is the manager, right? Yep. Yeah, he – I don't know what he's doing, but he is a great manager. I mean, 
I'm trying to think of where else. Has he done a stint in Italy at all? I'm just curious. No. PSG, he was on he was the wrong he was on the wrong end of uh Barcelona's biggest comeback in club history. And then Arsenal got him to Europa League final, uh lost. And then Sevilla though, Sevilla is where he shined, where he won the Europa League five years. Uh five wow. times. So that's and he Sevilla, obviously, that's that's where he earned these big moves, but he has not been in Italy as of yet. He would be, I mean, I'm I'm in on Mourinho now. But before I was, Unai Emery was one, somebody I was thinking of as a potential a person from Rome. But, but you know, we're not there anymore. Yeah, right, real but quick. I'm... Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Never mind. No, go ahead. It's fine. It's fine. I, I, I thought you were done. Yeah, but, I mean, what he's doing with this Villarreal team is absolutely amazing, especially in the Champions League. I mean, I, to be honest with you, thought Villarreal was going to be out way sooner than this. But they're just go. I don't know what he does to get this team motivated and how he just like sets everything up. But he is a really good manager, and that would be awesome to see him in Italy sometime. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, but as long as he does this well in Europe, who cares? Um, exactly. All right. I know we're probably both on the buy-in still going to qualify, but let's let's just say let's for, let's try to make an argument for can well. Can they get it done? And going into the Allianz Arena, what is the what do you think their best approach is to do so? For who? For Villarreal. So we're making pace for if Villarreal can do this. Yeah, can they do this? And if so, how how would that happen? Okay, I the only way I think they could do this, especially in the Allianz. Stadium is just like have something going on at the Allianz place, and you know they they have to play on a away okay. on a neutral. C- come on, they they beat them. They beat Bayern Munich. They can beat them there. It's just probably not likely, but they're they're it's 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 not like like this is uh, a Preston North End against Bayern Munich at Allianz Field. They have a shot. So what do what do they need to do on the field to give them the best chance to win? Um, obviously keep an eye out for your main attackers like Lewandowski, um, Thomas Mueller, uh, just try to keep them as quiet as possible. Uh, don't go because, uh, the fans are crazy over there, but obviously that's not an option. Um, but defensive wise, you have to isolate their attack as much as possible while also playing aggressive on your own attack. Um, Obviously, you have. Obviously, it's going to be hard to do against a um, defense such as Bayern, who has a fortress basically from top to bottom. But I mean, those, there's only those, those small little things that you can do to try to get the result. Um, so yeah, I mean, if that's the only way I would see it from this perspective. All right, what you do is you defend. You defend at a high level. That's number one. You got to do that. Number two, when Bayern Munich has a strike on goal and you save it and the ball comes to your feet, you go fast, track me, and you feed the ball to, um, to uh, Marrero at the end, uh, at top, and, and you can continue to push him in attacking areas. You, have, you probably have to play with one midfield midfielder who's going to defend a lot but also push forward. You have to create areas of space for him to get the ball. 
if you can get the ball in area space in good uh, places, I think they can score. Um, again, I still think Byron will get through, but to say that Villarreal um, don't have a chance, I think they do. I generally think they do because their last two Champions League games um, they played, um, you know, not the last two, but the, the first leg of both these games have been um, have, have been d- done well. They're way better than Salzburg. They're not losing 7-1. If they lose, it's going to be a close game. Um, but, you know, it's going to be hard to do. But I think Villarreal, if they play it and approach it right, they'll do it. They're not getting blown out. They're going to hold their own, and they're going to find because they're a very strong team. Um, but I do think it's not going to happen. But if they're going to do that, you've tried to get uh, Marrero into dangerous spaces, and I think that's that's your best shot and defend very well. All right, um, last um, – Okay, what, what does Bayern Munich need to do to prove that they're still favorites for the Champions League? Because I'll be, honest with you, I'll be honest with you, there's reasons to be worried about how this has played out. I mean, the only thing I would think of is just, obviously the fans are going to definitely be the force behind their success, but if, we're, if you had to eliminate the fans from this equation – where, say, they're playing in front of a – behind closed doors. But they're not playing behind I, closed doors, though. I know, but I said taking the fans out of the equation because usually they're the driving force. So, they're in the equation. <laughs> all right, why can't on. you just let me have this scenario? All right, all right, all right, all right go on. You, you know what? That's it. I ain't talking no more. <laughs> no, go on. Do, do your thing. And I'll, I'll, okay, just just go. And every single time. But um, obviously you would have to just focus on doing this strong attack like you always do. I mean, this team is capable of firing on all cylinders. Lately, it looks like there's some um, – I guess in, obviously there's been inconsistencies this season with them, and which is unca- uh, usually unheard of from a Bayern team. But, so I mean, you would have to just go back to being your aggressive selves and just muster all that energy and just go gung ho. Like I said, there could be a scenario of why they've been quiet in like the first leg of the like. Obviously, you had the round of 16. Now we're in the quarterfinals. Maybe they're just trying to save their energy and then just get everything done in the second leg and then move on. But there is cause for concern if they're performing like this. Because normally you would expect them to fire on all cylinders out of the gate in the first leg and then take the gap off. But, I mean, there is just this is a team that is going to come back for this regardless. It's just maybe they had a reason for performing like this in the first leg, just like they did against uh, Salzburg. I'll be honest. I'm full, full, full honesty. They should, we should be concerned about them. I mean, we can say, okay, yeah, they're going to go win in Munich, but they can't rely on having to win in Munich every single time. If they play against, again, I do think they will have an easier time against better opposition. As crazy as that sounds, I kind of know this Bayern Munich team quite well. So I, I think they're capable of having of, – of dealing with teams like Man City or Liverpool or whoever. But in a scenario that uh, – I don't know, whoever they play next, Liverpool, whoever, Man City, if you're playing a game like that, 
and you're losing, you're continuing to perform not up to your standard away from home, that doesn't bode well for their, for, for their, you know, for success long-term. They're putting themselves in a weird position because they're not performing well away from home. You can't, they can't just continue to rely on it. Again, Bayern Munich should win the Champions League. They have the best team. Man City are great. Liverpool are great. There are a lot of teams that are great. Liverpool are winning everything. Or not Liverpool, sorry. Man City are winning all these trophies and have been successful the last two years without a striker. Bayern have not just a striker. They have the best striker in the world. So I would not be afraid of to, – to, I, I think Bayern Munich can beat uh, a team like Liverpool, a team like Man City. They're capable of it. But they need to be very convincing. They need to perf- – even if they win and, and everything goes well, they need to perform – at a, a A minus or better in every aspect. On um, goalkeeper, we know Neuer is going to play well. Defensively, they need to have defensively as uh, as um, B plus at the worst, a B plus performance, and you need an A plus A. You need an A performance from your midfield and your attack. Your attack cannot be sh- um, shut down. They can't be slighted. So if they go to Munich, you know, and just go wild, win four one, and and don't doesn't have or four zero. Don't don't concede a goal. And if the defense shuts them out, that's that's will they'll, they'll sort of become the they'll prove that they're still the best team in the world. They'll prove that they should be the favorites. Because at this moment, um, you know all the stuff I said about Man City not having a striker. Yep. Does Real Madrid have a striker? Right. No. They have Benzema, right? Oh yeah. So, uh, so if, and again, that if they're gonna meet, they're gonna meet in the final. But because of how they performed the first leg, they need to make sure they're on cue, everywhere, because you cannot have an off day. You can have an off day against Man City and still win, because an off day for Bayern just looks different than everybody else. If they, if they're just not at their best, but they're still very good, they can get a result at Man City. They can get as well as all to Liverpool. You know, in a, in a game against Bayern Munich, or sorry, sorry, again, Real Madrid, they're not going to be able to perform like that because who they got up front. So I think Bayern will be fine. I think they'll do it. But there are certainly reasons to be concerned, not worried, but slightly concerned because we've seen what this Bayern Munich team does at Munich. They need to have the same type of energy in the, in away from home. So what they do um, – Let's, uh, for all sakes and purposes, let's say Liverpool win their their, their tie. If they, if they need to perform well at Anfield, if they're going to really win the Champions League, because we know they, we know what they'll do at Munich, but at Anfield and and whoever else they play, uh, yeah, because that that's, that would be the last destination as far away from home. But but so they need to perform that well at Anfield. They can't have inconsistent performance in one place and be monsters at at both. I mean, at the other, they need to have that energy in both. So. There's reason to be concerned, but I do think they'll get in there in the end. All right. Um, um, we got a, f- a few, just a few more things, and then we're good. Um, Barcelona, Frankfurt, you watch this game. Um, 1-1, Frankfurt, um, obviously, I think, uh, played well. By, uh, Barcelona got their goal in the end. Um, did um, did Frankfurt um, miss their chance to take control and – and kind of speak on on that aspect of it. I think they did because, in my opinion, 
Obviously, Barcelona had their times where they were in firm control of the ball, but Frankfurt, from what I saw, was definitely the more aggressive side throughout the whole entire game, though. So, I mean, with the amount of chances that they were taking and how they were able to keep um, Barcelona at bay in certain uh, in their attacking situations, kind of like it's kind of like when you saw it, it's you got Frankfurt what got their goal first, and then they kind of let defensive mistakes happen, and you saw Barcelona equalize later on in the second half. I do believe it was so. Um, yeah, I mean, if they kind of controlled, were a little bit more defensive with the in that aspect, preventing. Barcelona from getting the, that opening that they needed, this would have definitely been a different outcome, obviously. But and do I think Frankfurt can? If Frankfurt are able to like fix that scenario, that issue, they should have no problems within the second leg. But in this scenario, it was kind of a letdown when they definitely had the better control, even in the defense portion, but also in the attack. So, yeah, I think they kind of, like, dropped the ball on this one. A little bit. That goal was amazing, though. The one that Frankfurt yeah, scored. Was so sick. Um, yeah, I, I – no, I, again, I don't want to repeat myself, but, but I agree with everything you said. Frankfurt had the opportunities. They should have won this game. They had opportunities to, to win this game. They came close a lot of time. Barcelona defended well when they needed to. Um, Frankfurt does not have the superstars that Barcelona have. And I'm, uh, I have a little, I'm a little concerned with whether or not they're going to go and be able to play the, the same performance that they played in, um, in, in Germany and that they're going to have to now go to the Camp Nou and try to do that. Um, from a tactical standpoint, Oliver Glasner got it bang on, got it right. He should stick with the same team. They just need to have a little bit more um, desire in front of goal and, and just clean up those mistakes. If they do that, they're going to have a chance, but, at Camp Nou is not going to be an easy place to play. Xavi was outcoached. Um, Luis Suarez described this performance as horrible. Um, uh, so that that's just a little nugget from what the but what the Barca, from the Barcelona legend what he said. Um, so um, they could have won this game four one. It was it was there for them. They were running circles around Barcelona, and and and. Again, they were pretty mistake-free all the way. It was just in front of goal. They just couldn't, they couldn't get there. And then, again, great goal from Frankfurt to, to get that goal. But uh, I, you, you got to feel a little like they left a little something on the table after that. Um, obviously, to get, to get back into the game, they're going ha- to um, they're gonna have to channel that same performance but clean up the little mistakes um, in the end and, and so on. And, um, um, yeah, I was, I was disappointed because they, they played well enough to – to, to you know, kind of have our their seat already um, folded for the for the next round because again they could have scored three four goals where Barcelona didn't have a lot of chances they had they had a couple but but not nearly enough and and I think Frankfurt has to has to really fix those issues because um, if they want it if if they don't win this this if they don't advance it's gonna it's all gonna come back to that one uh, performance that they had in the um, in this in this game and and. You know, it's a little unfortunate because I thought they, they played as well as they probably could have. It's just like in front of goal, um, as you know, and as I know, there's been some inter games where the, their opposing team has two shots on goal and they win 2-1. There's been some games for Roma, but the same way. 
Um, I mean, the, the swallow game for you, the um, the uh, oh, Genoa, yeah. the second Genoa game for me. So you, you know what it's like when you're in that you're in that zone. You're mm-hmm. playing, but you just can't score. <laughs> and it was like every five minutes they had a chance. Like, oh, that's going to be the second goal. Oh, that's going to be this. It's just like he just came and it wasn't. Tristan played well, but it was more. I think it. And what, I don't know what you think about this, but I think it was more um, on Frankfurt not being able to score um, e- easier um, when those moments opened up because we know Ter Stegen plays well. He's an awesome goalkeeper, but I don't know. That's that's the way – anyway, that's the way I feel about it. Um, I do think they can go to the Camp Nou and win, but it's going to be tough. Agreed? Agreed. All right. Leipzig 7, Alonso – I'm just kidding. Uh, I was so <laughs> surprised. Uh, but Alonta and Leipzig draw 1-1. One, one. Um, so uh, the first thing we're going to cover here is uh, first, just quickly, Zabata's back. He played a good portion of this game. Um, encouraging performance from Alanta because we did not expect him to even be in this game anymore. Um, but ultimately, fortunate. Um, so what's your take on, the, on that? I mean, this seeing Duvon Zapata back, I'm just going to say a welcome back, dude. Um, you've been missed in the league and in competition for, I don't know, months already. Um, uh, not that but... I'm, try- I'm trying to make the champions. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, lo- you know, I love Zabata. I'm, I'm just, I'm just messing around. Hey, like I said, leave the humor to me, but I will allow it because uh, we need to have some excitement in the show. Cause to me right now, it seems all without the humor, but Anyway, yeah, it's nice to see him back in action for a good chunk of this match. Um, obviously performing at a really good level despite have, coming back from injury, which usually most players don't really perform that well coming back unless you're really, really training that hard before your match. Um, but, yeah, I was surprised as well. I'm, like, sitting there like, okay, this is going to be good. Yeah. That's all she wrote for Atalanta. Nice seeing you. We'll maybe see you in the future in the European competition because obviously this season is just not it. Um, but to see them perform and be able to get something out of this match it just shows how determined this team is, especially having one of their best players back in the lineup. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's not much I else I could say is. obviously we're going to go into those points in a minute, but yeah, that was what I took from this is just like how surprised we were that Atalanta were able to at least get a point going into the second leg. Yeah, I agree. Um, It's very encouraging performance. They were very, um, I mean, calculated because a great goal from Moriel, Peter Galassi is no joke. You watch in the Bundesliga, you know, you know, you know. He's a great goalkeeper. Um, that was the only chance that I don't think he could have got to. That's it. Is the Muriel uh, Thunderbolt from, again, defense probably could have pressed him in the corner a bit better, but he got around and, and found a missile into the top corner, which Muriel just has not done a lot of this season. Um, but he gets that goal. Leipzig's down um, at home. You know, everything's kind of going their way, uh, Alonso's way, but, um, but also encouraging. Leipzig hit the post twice. They missed the penalty. Um, they missed the, the follow-up save from the penalty. Um, and they're able to, um, to in the end, man, that really pushed. They could have scored. 
Slobberslag could have scored twice in the last five or ten minutes. Um, great defense at the very end. Um, so I think there's a lot of things to be encouraged about from Atlanta, but they're also very fortunate that Leipzig didn't go on to score three. Um, so I do think they have the car. They're, they're in, that's their advantage right now um, and so on. Um, uh, but, you know, you know, it's tough. It's tough for, for Leipzig because they're at home. They should, they should be handling this better, but you, there's a lot of encouragement from Atlanta. Um, all right, so let's go directly to Leipzig stuff. Um, they played the, they played ter- terrific, um, but couldn't put Alanta away. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, and what do you think the impact of that could be in, in leg number two? Um, what was my first thought that Leipzig were struggling? Um, I was shocked to be honest with you because going if going into this match, we thought they were the clear favorites for us. Um, yeah. I mean, for repercussion-wise, you could. I think they're going into the Bergamo this time. Yeah, I mean, if it, yeah, you don't have to say that there's a big difference. You could say they're still going to get. Uh, Atlanta will still get crushed. So I, I, you, you can go either way. I, okay, I'm going to go in the favor of um, Leipzig. Um, I, this team has a really great team from top to bottom. Um, you. Obviously, they had a lot of great chances in this match. They obviously got a goal, but were just unable to get the job done defensively, which allowed because that defensive mistake was able to see Adelaide to get into this match. Um, do I think it's a done deal? Obviously not. I think Leipzig are going to still provide that same level of aggression in the attack, but also they're a team that knows if there was a defensive mistake in the first place, they're going to be able to clean that, those up, those edges, like we mentioned with the Bayern match and really focus and get back into it. And I think Leipzig are a team that could do, even though the Bergamo isn't like the most scariest place to play anywhere or like no one likes going to the Bergamo. No, but, people love, they, people love to go there now. This is, Three years ago, when Alonso was flying on all cylinders, it was not a good place to play. But now it's totally different. Yeah. So, I mean, they can go in the Bergamo with more confidence and just say, hey, you may have gotten us this time, but now it's our turn to say, show you what we're really capable of. So you, you feel that Leipzig still holds the cards? I think they still hold the cards, yes. Yeah, so... I agree. I think if this was in Bergamo and they're going to Leipzig um, like two, I think it's different. I think a lot to have to feel better because they're not very good at home. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they'll be humiliated. I think Leipzig had changes. They're the better team in this game. They, there was one huge strike from Moriel and that was, uh, they had hit the post, but Peter Galashi wasn't letting any of those other chances in. It's really simple. Leipzig missed the penalty. If they don't miss the penalty, it's already over. If they if they'd won this two one, it'd be done. That's how much better they are than Alonso. They defended well. They wasn't defensive mistakes. Um, again, maybe a slight mistake. They probably could have pressurized Moriel better. But Moriel hit a fucking rocket into the top corner. <laughs> so it's not like oh, boo hoo. I'm gonna uh, you know I'm gonna you know uh, scold you for not <laughs> stopping that. No, that was a, that was a insane strike. So. But outside of that, they did well. They got on the on the set piece. They get the goal in there. Um, Willie Oban um, forcing um, and Angelino forcing Zappacosta into an own goal. 
Um, they were outplayed. Um, they hit the post like three times at the end. Slavish side really should have scored, really could have scored. Um, but uh, Juan Musso made a huge save at the end, which is a whole reason they're still in this. Um, so I, I think Leipzig couldn't put it away. But I think in Bergamo, they'll be more motivated. They'll be, they'll be fired up to do it um, again. And I think they have the advantage. Um, Leipzig holds the cards. And, uh, you know, I think they'll, they're going to take care of business. And, again, I think they're still going to win the Europa League. Uh, regardless of what happens at the end of this, they will. I think they're one of the, the Europa League. I think Alante played very well and deserves the credit. But I think ultimately they were second best, even though they had the goal. Um, and still, I still don't think that people are lighting fires at the Bergamo now. Uh, they're, they're, they're getting swallowed there. So I think Leipzig should feel confident. They, they should feel disappointed, but also confident they can get there in the end. All right. Um, so this, these are just going to be quick. Um, I've, I've, I've put together a new segment. It's called Nothing, Something, or Everything. So if it's uh, just sort of uh, what, what BS or that's not, that's not a big deal, then you say nothing. If it's not like it's, it's not nothing, but it's not something, then you say, say it's, it's, it's something. So, and then obviously everything is everything, and I think that's uh, self-explanatory. Um, we're going to start up with uh, uh, Dybala is wanted by Arsenal. Is it nothing, something, or everything? And just just give a few, um, just a response of, of what you think it is and give a little explanation. I think it's nothing. Obviously, to me, there has been a lot of circulations that um, Inter and some other clubs that are not in England are more in the driver's seat. I mean, it could be something, but I think it's just nothing. I think it's just a bunch of rumors at this point. Um, obviously there could, uh, but I just think that Dabala would not consider going to Arsenal. And I don't, I mean, would he fit in their system? Maybe, but I think he's more suited towards any team that is like still within Italy or maybe in a league such as like Spain. It's nothing. Um, if you put a Dabala in Arsenal, he'd be a monster. Arsenal will go up to a whole different type of level, but I, I just don't know think he'll have that. I think he wants Spain. I think he would go to not Madrid, not Real Madrid, but I think he'd go to, he'd be a Barcelona or athletic and uh, fit for Atletico. Um, I think he's got a lot to, to prove uh, again, unless he, unless he's a snake, he's not going to, to enter. If he really loves Juventus, he won't go to enter that. And that's it. Um, so I, I'm going to say nothing. Um, all right, Ibrahim uh, 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 Diaz wanted back by Real Madrid. Uh, he's he's the winger, uh, plays for uh, Ace Milan. In case you d- didn't remember, you could. That sounds like something because I mean, if he was a Real Madrid player in the past, and he still wants to be an avid part of that team, I mean, why wouldn't he want to go, go back to where it all pretty much started for him? Um, so I think it could be something right there. Um, I'm going to go with you. I think it's something and it could be everything. Obviously, whether this will happen, it, it's still up in the air. They do hold, I think, a buyback clause, but I'm not certain. Um, it, would be, it would be a blow for AC Milan because he's a young player and they, they're, they're rather old at the moment, um, even though they just put seven past Torino. Um, but, you know, I, I think there, he's got a lot to offer to an AC Milan team that's going to try to win the league and then try to win it next year, maybe two. And, be more relevant in Europe. Um, however, 
if Real Madrid has a spot available and if he can get into that team, I think it'd be really good uh, for him as well. Um, but I, I would I completely understand why Real Madrid would want him back, um, especially with some of the age of the midfield. Um, but I'm just going to say something because it's it's not uncertainty, and it, it just could be it could. There, I think there's truth to this, but I don't think it's a certainty that this would happen. Um. All right, uh, uh, Eric uh, Ten Hag is set to be appointed at Man- as Manchester United manager. Um, he's the guy at Ajax, and he's been at Ajax um, over with uh, three or four different rebuilds and has continued to have success, just to give you a little context. I think this is every- an everything situation. Um, obviously, with Manchester United struggling, they're probably looking with- for somebody who has had multiple successes with – Another team, whether it was also in in the English division or just outside of that, and I think with his um, caliber and how he has able, been able to like lead this Ajax team, it would be huge for Manchester United. So I think this would be an everything situation for them, especially with what he's done with that team over at Ajax, and to be able to do something with this Manchester United team that hasn't hasn't been good, but or well hasn't been bad, but hasn't been great either. They just been average. So seeing what he could do with them would be huge. I think you're bang on, but so I'm basically going to use the same formula, but I'm, it's something. And here's why it's something. You know, I, I don't need to repeat everything you said. Uh, he's gone through multiple rebuilds. He's uh, Ajax players have come in and gone out. He's he's restructured. He's done well. He's been to the round of 16. He's been to the Champions League semifinal. He's done amazing things. Before that, he was he did well at, um, I think he was at Goal Eagles or um, uh, I forgot the, uh, I'm not sure it was Goal Eagles, but it might have been. Um, and then prior to that, he was an assistant at Bayern. He's well-traveled. He's done a tremendous job with this. Um, done well in the Europa League, done well in the Champions League, shown the quality, shown he can develop. So he's gone through uh, transitions before. Um, and, you know, my, my Man United uh, buddy, Dale, um, uh, this is, this is uh, I'm channeling what he says a lot, is you can change the manager. But until other things change behind the scene in ownership, it can't be everything because of the, the institution that, that is there. So he is perfect for the job. So in that sense, he's everything. But it's just something because we don't know what, the, what behind the scenes is going to look like if he's in charge and whether he'll get the authority to get the signings in that he wants. Um, if he brings Anthony uh, Grand Birch or – one of the other guys, um, I think it's different, but I, I just think it's something because we don't know the what's going to go on behind the scenes if that were to happen. All right, one last one. Uh, Timo Werner has been offered to AC Milan or Juventus. Is it something, nothing, or everything? Nothing. Um, I'd, obviously, it would be a good signing, but I just think it's smoke and mirrors because if he – Timo Werner would, were to go back to a team, I think it would be back to where he came from in Germany, and I'm trying to remember, Dortmund. Leipzig. He would probably go back to Leipzig to help them out. Um, so I think it's just a whole load of cupola. Yeah, I think there's intrigue. but And he is he does want to leave, and he does want to move. Um, and I think these two teams would be solid. I think that he could rediscover himself in both of these places. Um, you know, actually, I'm, I'm going to describe, I'm going to say something because I, I could see it happening, 
because he is going to be on the move. But I just I just speculate that he'll go back to Germany. Not necessarily Leipzig, but I could see him maybe going to a team like Leverkusen if if Schick leaves, maybe, um, which I don't think he will. But uh, a Hoffenheim, a team that's on the cusp of making the Champions League that needs a striker like that, I think German style of play suits him better. Um, but again, I don't – I just see him as a Bundesliga uh, signing – rather than um than italy but i i wouldn't i wouldn't close the door on that because there's a possible case he is moving and those teams are reportedly interested all right and our last topic here um the debate topic um and it's a big one uh the in, possibility to upset everyone and get uh get the ronaldo fanboys all all triggered um but i also a real conversation here. um so i'm, I'm gonna phrase it this way if if um, Real Madrid, sorry, if Benzema wins the Champions with Real Madrid, actually, no, I'm not going to phrase it that way. What does Benzema need to do to become more iconic for Real Madrid in Real, you know, Real Madrid than in Cristiano? And I want to make something clear. I'm not asking if he's greater than Cristiano. His era in Madrid is greater than Cristiano. I'm talking about iconic to Real Madrid. Um, so what does he need to do to make that happen? Let me think for the second. To be you honest get, with you. Do you get what I'm saying, though? Like, what does he have to do to make himself more iconic to Real Madrid than Cristiano Ronaldo? Hey, like, like, let me explain something. Um, like, um, I don't know. Uh, Toti is a better player than De Rossi, right? But De Rossi as a character of, of a symbol of Rome is probably a, a more iconic figure to some. Something like that, where you can have multiple – this team has this, – I mean, this club has so many great players. What I'm talking about is to the Real Madrid uh, uh, um, faithful to things that have, have, he has done at Real Madrid since – I'm just talking about iconic, not, not necessarily better – but more iconic because obviously Ronaldo has played in so many different places, but, but so only iconic that, that I'm, so I'm not, I'm not suggesting or trying to say, what does he need to do to be a better player than Christian? That's, that's not what I'm asking. You kind of get what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I I, okay. I'm going to try to do this as best as possible because this one is like, for, would that be, would that be easier for you? Yeah. Cause I'm you're like, huh? Okay. Okay. Just if you if you agree with me, don't just repeat everything I said. <laughs> All right. So there is no debate in my mind that Cristiano Ronaldo is the greatest player in Real Madrid history. Four Champions Leagues, three in a row. He scored in two of those finals, three of those finals. Um, been such a huge part of iconic uh, figure for Real Madrid. Uh, from top to bottom, he is the best player to ever put on that shirt. Um, his the, the greatest version of Cristiano Ronaldo was at Real Madrid, okay? Since he's left, he's gone to Juventus. He's gone to Manchester United. Practically from the, the, the get-go, since he has departed uh, um, Real, Benzema has been the better player than Cristiano Ronaldo in world football. That's not re necessarily related to this in any way, but that's that's where he is, right? Since Ren went with Ronaldo... Um, Benzema and Ronaldo together won four Champions Leagues and two La Liga titles. Okay, and that's with a top three, top four player all time in football history. 
since Cristiano Ronaldo has left, he has the same amount of league titles. Uh, either He's either matched it or is about to surpass it. I don't remember which, but with the, the nine years he spent in Madrid with Ronaldo, Ronaldo has two La Liga titles and obviously the Champions Leagues. But with what separated, um, I think this will be his second La Liga title since he has departed. If he then adds a Champions League on top of that, then I think we have to have to start having that conversation because what he has done numbers wise in La Liga, in the Champions League, these moments to get these hat tricks are not something that we're going to forget. Um, the way he's performed in these Champions League games have been huge. Um, and then you look at what he's done statistically and also two La Liga titles. If he adds the Champions League to that, if he wins the Champions League, this year, I'm not saying it will be a done deal, but I'm what I'm saying is we're going to have to have a conversation about who is who is regarded higher in in Real Madrid world uh, between the two. There's no debate who's better between the two, but Benzema adding a Champions League, I think it would change the narrative about his legacy at Real Madrid, um, maybe even beyond the great Cristiano Ronaldo. You know what? That's pretty much bang on. Um, I'm just going to kind of like add to that. Yeah. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously Benzema has already had success while Cristiano Ronaldo was there at Real Madrid. So, but ever since he has left, uh, Benzema to really took the reins from and really took this up. Uh, took himself to the next level because now without one of the greatest Real Madrid players of all time at this current moment, he had to go to the next level and he provides that leadership quality in the Real Madrid team now. Um, I mean, if he just adds like this Champions League and obviously he's on par to possibly match the La Liga ones, there should be no question of a doubt that he has had a bigger impact with this Real Madrid team than Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, it's, I mean, just he's already, like I said, when he, Cristiano was there, Kareem, Kareem Benzema was working alongside him. And just ever since he left, he's been the one that took this team to the next level. And so obviously with the addition of a couple titles, Obviously, there should be no question that he should has had a bigger impact on Real Madrid than Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, his, his numbers have gone to a different level because there were some seasons with Ronaldo where he had like 10, 12 goals. Um, he had one season with five goals, and that doesn't, that's, that's no, that's not even at the fault of Benzema. Um, but he, since he's left, he's gone to a whole nother level and, and has just been incredibly uh, fantastic in, in any uh, explanation uh, of the word. So I think he's gone to a totally different place. Um, and if he wins a league title, Champions League, and what if he wins the league again next year? So if he wins a couple of league t- if I'll say this, if he wins three or four league titles in total without Ronaldo, wins the Champions League, and then wins a ball and door. If he wins a ball and door and, and wins a Champions League, again, not saying he's going to be greater than Ronaldo, but he'll be. He'll. You can argue that he'll be a more iconic figure because he did what three league titles and a, a ball and door in a Champions League. If he does all that as well as his numbers without Cristiano, it's different. Obviously, he's 
he's not going to touch any of the uh, Cristiano Ronaldo's statistics historically uh, with Real Madrid. But if he's able to do all of that in two, three years, we can be saying, okay, I think we have to give it up. He was a, he was more iconic to Real Madrid, but still not, not nowhere near the player of, of the great Cristiano Ronaldo. All right. That's all she wrote. Thanks for listening. See you when you're older. I mean, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> wow. Uh, th- th- thanks. Do not leave that in. Uh, uh, see, no, I'm leaving okay, it in because it's goodbye. funny. <laughs> All right. Ch- 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 see. Okay. Bye. Uh, we'll, see, we'll see. Junior Benzema coming in and scoring again. What a season he's having. What a great goal for Real Madrid. King Karim from the opposite flank and Benzema's there again. Oh, can you believe this? A top player at the very top of his game. Everything he touches turns to gold.